would like to welcome everybody tonight on the discussion um, of just war. Now, God commands his people to proclaim peace and renounce war. However, there are circumstances and situations where it is not only appropriate um, to use violence in defense, but it's also an admonition of God to do so. Tonight, we're going to go through the scriptures and look at what God has to say on the appropriate times to use violence and the appropriate time to proclaim peace. So we'll start in Doctrine and Covenants, section 98. Verse 33. And again, this is the law that I gave unto mine ancients, that they should not go out unto battle against any nation, kindred, tongue, or people, save I, the Lord, commanded it. And now verses 4 through 5. And now verily I say unto you concerning the laws of the land, it is my will that my people should observe to do all things whatsoever I command them. And that law of the land, which is constitutional, supporting that principle of freedom in maintaining rights and privileges, belongs to all mankind and is justifiable before me. So, here the Lord says that our first duty and obligation is to follow him and to do whatever he commands us to do. Now, second in verse five, he says, the law of the land, which is constitutional. And then he defines what constitutional law is. Constitutional law is that law which supports the principle of freedom in maintaining rights and privileges. And he declares that constitutional law that supports freedom and maintains rights and privileges isn't just something that is for the United States, but it's something that is for all people. He says all mankind. In verse 7, and as pertaining to law of man, whatsoever is more or less than this cometh of evil. So, um, God's commentary on civil law and the laws of the land are that which, those laws which support individual freedom, rights, and privileges are good. However, those laws which do not support freedom and individual rights and privileges cometh of evil. Verse 8. Actually, verse 11, and I give unto you a commandment that ye shall forsake all evil and cleave unto all good, that ye shall live by every word of God, which proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. And verse 16, therefore renounce war and proclaim peace and seek diligently to turn the hearts of children to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. So, 
Our first duty and responsibility is to renounce war and to proclaim peace. And where men's hearts are hard, that we seek to soften them. Now verses 23 through 48. Now I speak unto you concerning your families. If men will smite you or your families once, and ye bear it patiently, and revile not against them, neither seek revenge, ye shall be rewarded. Now just a parenthetical note, as will become clear, um, this being smitten is not the threat of deadly force. And it is not the threat of great bodily harm or um, great injury to you know, personal property either. If men will smite you or your families once, and you bear it patiently, and revile not against them, neither seek revenge, you shall be rewarded. But if you bear it not patiently, it shall be accounted unto you as being meted out as a just measure unto you. And again, if your enemy shall smite you a second time, and you revile not against your enemy, and bear it patiently, your reward shall be a hundredfold. So, in verse 24, in verse 23, if in a defensive measure, um, we or our families are harmed, um, we are then justified. if we take appropriate action. Um, however, the Lord says, if we bear it patiently and revile not against them, it shall be accounted unto us Then the Lord will reward us for our patience, for our long suffering. Verse 25. And again, if your enemy shall smite you the second time, and you revile not against your enemy, and bear it patiently, your reward shall be a hundredfold. And again, if he shall smite you the third time, and you bear it patiently, your reward shall be doubled unto fourfold. And these three testimonies shall stand against your enemy if he repent not, and shall not be blotted out. And now, verily I say unto you, if that enemy shall escape my vengeance, that he be not brought into judgment before me, then ye shall see to it that ye warn him in my name, that he come no more upon you, neither upon your family, even your children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. And then if he shall come upon you, or your children, or your children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. I have delivered thine enemy into thine hands. And then if thou wilt spare him, thou shalt be rewarded for righteousness and also thy children and thy children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Nevertheless, thine enemy is in thine hands. And if thou rewardest him according to his works, thou art justified. If he has sought Thy life, 
and thy life is endangered by him, thine enemy is in thine hands, and thou art justified. So the principle being taught is, in the first instance, we should always extend mercy and reconciliation. And we should seek to forgive. Um, However, if we are not guilty of the first offense, but we are seeking to defend ourselves, our families, um, you know, the Lord does justify us in taking action. However, um, you know, more blessed are we if we are patient and do not immediately take action. Now, verse 31 clarifies that this is not talking about if one is threatening deadly force. Again, verse 31, nevertheless, thine enemy is in thine hands. And if thou rewardest him according to thy, his works, thou art justified. If he has sought thy life and thy life is endangered by him, thine enemy is in thine hands and thou Aren't justified. Behold, this is the lie given to my servant Nephi, thy fathers, Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, and all mine ancient prophets and apostles. And again, this is the law that I gave unto mine ancients, that they should not go out unto battle against any nation. Kindred, tongue, or people, save I the Lord command them. And if any nation, tongue, or people should proclaim war against them, They should first lift a standard of peace unto that people, nation, or tongue. And if that people did not accept the offering of peace, neither the second nor the third time, they should bring these testimonies before the Lord. Then I, the Lord, would give unto them a commandment and justify them in going out to battle against that nation, tongue, or people. And I, the Lord, would fight their battles and their children's battles and their children's children's until they have had avenged themselves on all their enemies to the third and fourth generation. Behold, this is an ensample unto all people, saith the Lord your God, for justification before me. And again, verily I say unto you, if after thine enemy has come upon thee the first time, he repent and come unto thee, praying thy forgiveness, thou shalt forgive him. and shalt hold it no more as a testimony against thine enemy. And so on unto the second and third time. And as oft as thine enemy repenteth of the trespass wherewith he has trespassed against thee, thou shalt forgive him until seventy times seven. Now, a note about forgiving seventy times seven. The only people that are actually uh, have the capacity to harm us or offend us 70 times seven would be our own family members, you know, particularly those who live with us. Verse 41, and if he trespass against thee and repent not the first time, nevertheless thou shalt forgive him. And if he trespass against thee the second time and repent not, nevertheless thou shalt forgive him. And if he shall trespass against thee a third time and repent not, thou shalt also forgive him. But if he trespass against thee the fourth time, thou shalt not forgive him. 
but shall bring these testimonies before the Lord, and they shall not be blotted out until he repent and reward three fourfold, and reward thee fourfold in all things wherewith he has trespassed against thee. And if he do this, thou shalt forgive him with all thine heart. And if he do not this, I, the Lord, will avenge thee of thine enemy a hundredfold. And upon his children, upon his children's children, of all them that hate me, under the third and fourth generation. But if the children shall repent, or the children's children, and turn to the Lord their God, with all their hearts, with all their might, mind, and strength, and restore fourfold for all their trespasses, wherewith they have trespassed, or wherewith their fathers have trespassed, or their fathers' fathers, then thine indignation shall be turned away, and vengeance shall no more come upon them, saith the Lord thy God, and their trespasses shall never be brought any more as a testimony before the Lord against them. Amen. Now, in Alma 43, Verses 46 and 47. And they were doing that which they felt was their duty, which they owed to their God. For the Lord had said unto them, and also unto their fathers, that inasmuch as ye are not guilty of the first offense, neither the second, ye shall not suffer yourselves to be slain by the hands of your enemies. And again, the Lord has said that ye shall defend your families, even unto bloodshed. Therefore, for this cause were the Nephites contending with the Lamanites to defending themselves and their families and their lands, their country, their rights, and their religion. So, you know, Unpacking verse 46 in Alma 43. Now, inasmuch as ye are not guilty of the first offense, neither the second, ye shall not suffer yourselves to be slain by the hands of your enemies. Now, you know, upon first reading, there are some who take this, that even if deadly force is threatened against you, uh, we are not justified in uh, taking action until the third offense. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying that if we are not guilty of the first offense, not defense, and the second offense, not defense, you know, then we are justified. So according to DNC 98, we are always justified in taking defensive action when deadly threat is given. And again, not only do we have the Lord's permission to defend ourselves, but we have the Lord's admonition that we are to defend our families even unto bloodshed. Therefore, for this cause were the Nephites contending with the Lamanites to defend themselves and their families, their lands, their country, their rights, and their religion. 
you know, this is a list that the Lord gives us of those things that are permissible to defend with bloodshed and to use deadly force in protecting and preserving and maintaining themselves, families, lands, country, rights, and religion. Now, in Third Nephi, chapter 3, Verses 19 through 22. Now it was the custom among all the Nephites to appoint for their chief captains, save it were in their times of wickedness, someone that had the spirit of revelation and also prophecy. Therefore, this Gidgadoni was a great prophet among them, and he also was the chief judge. Now the people said unto Gidgadoni, pray unto the Lord. <laughs> And let us go up unto the mountains and into the wilderness that we may fall upon the robbers and destroy them in their own lands. But Gidgadoni saith unto them, The Lord forbid, for if we should go up against them, the Lord would deliver us into their hands. Therefore we will prepare ourselves in the center of our lands, and we will gather all our armies together. And we will not go to war against them, but we will wait till they come against us. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, if we do this, he will deliver them into our hands. And it came to pass that in the 17th year, in the latter end of the year, the proclamation of Laconius had gone forth throughout all the face of the land. And they had taken their horses and their chariots and their cattle and all their flocks and their herds and their grain and all their substance, and did march forth by thousands, and by tens of thousands, until they had all gone forth to the place which had been appointed that they should gather themselves together to defend themselves against their enemies. So, in 3 Nephi 3, we have the outlining of, you know, a very important principle, and that is when we are authorized and justified, to use deadly force, to use war, it is strictly to be a war of defense and not a war of offense. Also, it is a good idea to call military leaders who have a relationship with God. As it says in verse 19, the spirit of revelation and of prophecy. So wars of defense, where one is defending themselves, their families, their lands, their country, their liberty, their freedoms, and their religion. If one is complying with the requirements for the use of deadly force and for war that the Lord has prescribed. The Lord has promised that he would be with us and that he would fight our battles. Now, in Alma 43, again, verses 6 through 8, 
And now as the Amalekites were of a more wicked and murderous disposition than the Lamanites were in and of themselves, therefore Zarahemna appointed chief captains over the Lamanites. And they were all Amalekites and Zoramites. And this he did that he might preserve their hatred towards the Nephites, that he might bring them into subjection to the accomplishment of his designs. For behold, his designs were to stir up the Lamanites to anger against the Nephites. This he did that he might usurp great power over them, and also that he might gain power over the Nephites by bringing them into bondage. And now the design of the Nephites was to support their lands, their houses, their wives, and their children, that they might preserve them from the hands of their enemies, and also that they might preserve their rights and their privileges, yea, also their liberty, that they might worship God according to their desires. For they knew that if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, that whosoever should worship God in spirit and in truth, the true and living God, the Lamanites would destroy. Yea, and they also knew the extreme hatred of the Lamanites toward their brethren, who are the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi, who are called the people of Ammon. And they would not take up arms. Yea, they had entered into a covenant that they would not break it. Therefore, if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, they would be destroyed. And the Nephites would not suffer that they should be destroyed. Therefore, they gave them lands for their inheritance. And the people of Ammon did give unto the Nephites a large portion of their substance to support their armies. And thus the Nephites were compelled alone to withstand against the Lamanites, who were a compound of Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael, and all those who had descended from the Nephites, who were Amalekites and Zoramites and the descendants of the priests of Noah. So while the righteous appoint captains, and leaders who have the spirit of prophecy and revelation, those who are wicked, appoint those who have once known of the truth, but have apostatized from the truth and therefore have become hardened. And those are the ones that the wicked appoint to leadership. Now, again, in verses 9 and 10, the righteous are justified in the use of self-defense. Again, to protect their lands, their houses, their wives, children, their rights, privileges, their liberty, and their ability to worship God according to their desires. And not only are the righteous justified in their own self-defense, but they're also justified in the defense of others for, you know, these very same reasons. You know, but those who are being defended by others justly, you know, should bear the financial burden of their defense. Now, in 1 Nephi, chapter 1, verse 20, we find out that because Lehi, after he received his baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and had visions of what was to befall his people, he prayed mightily for them. And 
as he prayed mightily for them, he had visions opened up to him of what was to befall his people. And so he went out and with all the earnestness of his soul began to preach unto them and to cry unto them repentance to return to the Lord their God that they might not be destroyed. Now, because of this, verse 20, and when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him, yea, even as with the prophets of old, who they had cast out and stoned and slain. And they also sought his life, that they might take it away. But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. And this is one of the major themes of the Book of Mormon, that those who exercise faith in God. Now, faith is not just trust and belief. Um, that is hope. You know, faith is seeking after, receiving, and acting on revelation. So the tender mercy of the Lord are over all those who he has chosen because they have sought after, received, and acted on revelation to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. And now we see even more of the wisdom in the Nephites appointing military leaders who had the spirit of prophecy and revelation because they would then come under this protection of the Lord to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. And notice again that this is a defensive and not an offensive action. Now, if we go to Alma, chapter 53. And verses 10 through 21. And now behold, I have somewhat to say concerning the people of Ammon, who in the beginning were Lamanites. But by Ammon and his brethren, or rather by the power and word of God, they had been converted unto the Lord. And they had been brought down into the land of Zarahemla, and had ever since been protected by the Nephites. And because of their oath, they had been kept from taking up arms against their brethren. For they had taken an oath that they never would shed blood more. And according to their oath, they would have perished. Yea, and they would have suffered themselves to have fallen into the hands of their brethren, had it not been for the pity and exceeding love which Ammon and his brethren had had for them. Now often the anti-Nephi-Lehi's um, covenant to not take up arms is used as justification for pacifism. But it's important that we put into context the covenant which the anti-Nephi-Lehi's made, that they entered into this covenant because 
they had been a ferocious and bloodthirsty people, that they had been, that they had committed many murders, and this killing had not been authorized by the Lord, so to be forgiven of the blood which stained their hands, it required extraordinary measures beyond what the Lord would command, and even contrary to what the Lord would command a people who do not have blood-stained hands as the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi or the people of Ammon did. And as further evidence of this, it was their sons who became known as the sons of Helaman, who did in fact take up arms to defend the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, their fathers and mothers. And even before this time, they were protected by the Nephites. So even though they weren't taking up arms because of the covenant which they had made um, to not be destroyed required that others, namely the Nephites, take up arms in their defense. Now, verse 12, and for this cause, they were brought down into the land of Zarahemla, and they ever had been protected by the Nephites. But it came to pass that when they saw the danger and the many afflictions and tribulations, tribulations which the Nephites bore for them, they were moved with compassion and were desirous to take up arms in defense of their country. But behold, as they were about to take their weapons of war, they were overpowered by the persuasions of Helaman and his brethren, for they were about to break the oath which they had made. So even though that they had entered into a covenant of peace and that they would not take up arms, still when they saw the great sacrifice and slaughter among their brethren who were fighting and dying for them, it was almost more than they could stand. And they felt a personal responsibility um, to do something to alleviate the suffering and death of the Nephites who were protecting them, who were not just incurring the wrath of the Lamanites that they would have incurred because of the hatred of the Lamanites for the Nephites, but there was an added measure of wrath of the Lamanites that was being poured out upon the Nephites because they were, they were furious with the Nephites' defense of the anti-Nephi-Lehites. And, you know, as evidence of the sincerity and of the caring that the anti-Nephi-Lehites had for their brethren, the Nephites. They were willing to you know, sacrifice their salvation that the Nephites might not have to have their blood shed anymore of their defense. But men of God, um, and Helaman was also a military leader who perfectly exemplifies this admonition of the Lord 
that military leaders should have the gift of prophecy and revelation. Persuaded the anti-Nephi-Lehites to maintain their covenant with God and to find another way. Verse 15. And Helaman feared lest by so doing they should lose their souls. Therefore, all those who had entered into this covenant were compelled to behold their brethren wait through their afflictions and in dangerous circumstances at this time. But behold, it came to pass that they had many sons who had not entered into a covenant that they would not take their weapons of war to defend themselves against their enemies. And neither did they need enter into that covenant because their hands were not stained with blood. And because their hands were not stained with blood, and because that covenant was not required of them, the Lord did expect that they would take up arms in the defense of themselves, their families, their liberties, their freedom, their religion, and their lands. Continuing in verse 16. Therefore they did assemble themselves together at this time, as many as were able to take up arms, and they called themselves Nephites. So, you know, again, throughout the Book of Mormon, you know, we have this term Nephites and Lamanites used. And in time, the true distinction between Nephites and Lamanites um, doesn't actually have anything to do with race, but it has to do with righteousness. And those who are willing to enter into a covenant with their God. Verse 17. And they had entered into a covenant to fight for the liberty of the Nephites, yea, to protect the land unto the laying down of their lives. Yea, even they covenanted that they never would give up their liberty, but they would fight in all cases to protect the Nephites and themselves from bondage. So, just as their fathers were required to take upon them a covenant that they would not take arms up against their enemies, even so their sons who did not have their hands stained with blood, were expected by the Lord to make the opposite covenant, meaning to covenant that they would take up arms unto the shedding of blood and being willing to lay down their own lives to defend their liberty, to defend the Nephites, and who you know, their fathers, and they were now called Nephites. Verse 18, now behold, there were 2,000 of those young men who entered into this covenant and took their weapons of war to defend their country. And now behold, as they never had hitherto been a disadvantage to the Nephites, they became now at this period of time also a great support for they took their weapons of war, and they would that Helaman should be their leader. And they were all young men, 
and they were exceedingly valiant for courage and also for strength and activity. But behold, this was not all. They were men who were true at all times in whatsoever thing they were entrusted. So, you know, these sons of the anti-Nephites were not just any men. They were exceedingly valiant. They were courageous. And also for strength and activity. So, you know, these were not young men who spent most of their days sitting at home, you know, watching TV and playing video games, you know, which the spirit would have warned them against. You know, they had, you know, hearkened unto the spirit. They had already, even though they probably did not know that they would be required to take up arms, Still, they kept themselves in good shape, both physically and spiritually. Exceedingly valiant. They were courageous. Um, Courage does not just come from sitting at home and doing nothing. And neither does strength and activity come from sitting at home and doing nothing. But behold, this was not all. So not only were they physically and spiritually fit, they were men who were true at all times in whatsoever they were entrusted. So they were trustworthy, you know, as well. Yea, they were men of truth and soberness. For they had been taught to keep the commandments of God and to walk uprightly before God. You know, they were the prototypical young men and, you know, would be that all young men were as these men were. And now it came to pass that Helaman did march at the head of these 2,000 stripling soldiers to the support of the people in the borders of the land on the south by the West Sea. And thus ended the twenty and eighth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Now, in Elm 56, verses 39 and 40. And it came to pass that before the dawn of morning, behold, the Lamanites were pursuing us. Now we were not sufficiently strong to contend with them. Yea, I would not suffer that my little sons should fall into their hands. Therefore, we did continue our march. Now, this is Helaman speaking. Into the wilderness. Now, they durst not turn to the right nor the left, lest they should be surrounded. Neither would I turn to the right nor the left, lest they should overtake me. And we could not stand against them, but be slain. And they would make their escape. And thus we did flee in that day into the wilderness, even until it was dark. And now verses 49, then 52 through 56. Verse 49. And it came to pass that I did return with my 2,000 against these Lamanites who had pursued us. And now behold, the armies of Antipas had overtaken them, and a terrible battle had commenced. 
And it came to pass that the Lamanites took courage and began to pursue them. And thus were the Lamanites pursuing them with great vigor when Helaman came upon the rear with his 2,000 and began to slay them exceedingly, insomuch that the whole army of the Lamanites halted and turned upon Helaman. Now when the people of Antipas saw that the Lamanites had turned them about, they gathered together with their men and came again upon the rear of the Lamanites. And now it came to pass that we, the people of Nephi, the people of Antipas, and I with my two thousand, did surround the Lamanites and did slay them, yea, insomuch that they were compelled to deliver up their weapons of war and also themselves as prisoners of war. And now it came to pass that when they had surrendered themselves up unto us. Behold, I numbered those young men who had fought with me, fearing lest there were many of them slain. But behold, to my great joy, there had not one soul of them fallen to the earth. Yea, they had fought as if it were the strength of God. Yea, and never were men known to have fought with such miraculous strength. And with such mighty power did they fall upon the Lamanites that they did frighten them. For this cause did the Lamanites deliver themselves up as prisoners of war. Now, I would submit that even though the sons of the anti-Nephi-Lehites, the sons of Helam, had taken the physical and spiritual preparations that they had been directed to by the Spirit, still, they were not expert in the art of war. However, because they had been true and faithful to the spirit in the preceding years and were men of faith and strength, the Lord was able to be with them and work in them. And thus we see the the promise of the Lord given through Nephi, again in 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 20. But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty, even unto the power of deliverance. And I would say that we are about to enter times when our very survival will also depend on our willingness to exercise the faith necessary that the tender mercies of the Lord might be upon us to also make us, just as the sons of Helaman, mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Alma 57, verse 19. But behold, my little band of 2,060 fought most desperately. Yea, and they were firm before the Lamanites, and it administered death unto all those who opposed them. And as the remainder of our army were about to give way before the Lamanites, behold, those 2,060 were firm and undaunted. Yea, and they did obey and observe to perform every word of command with exactness. Yea, and even according to their faith, it was done unto them. So, according to their faith, it was done unto them. Or in other words, according to their seeking after receiving and acting on revelation, 
they were able to exercise the powers of heaven to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Continuing in verse 21. And I did remember the words which they said unto me that their mothers had taught them. And now behold, it was these my sons and those men who had been selected to convey the prisoners to whom we owe this great victory. For it was they who did beat the Lamanites. Therefore, they were driven back into the city of Manti. And we retained our city, Kumani, and were not all destroyed by the sword. Nevertheless, we had suffered great loss. And it came to pass that after the Lamanites had fled, I immediately gave orders that, the, that my men who had been wounded should be taken from among the dead and caused that their wounds should be dressed. And it came to pass that there were 200 out of the 2,060 who had fainted because of the loss of blood. Nevertheless, according to the goodness of God and to our great astonishment and also to the joy of our whole army, there was not one soul of them who did perish. Yea, and neither was there one soul among them who had not received many wounds. Now, this addresses a common misconception. The misconception of entitlement. Um, we could serve God with our whole souls from this moment till our very last, and still would we be unprofitable servants. The Lord has said that if we would exercise the necessary faith in him, he would make us mighty even unto the power of deliverance. But that does not mean that we can sit back and do nothing or that we do not have to put ourselves or our health or our safety on the line. Um, I hear many say that, well, I don't have to make any physical preparation for the times that are coming because I will rely upon the Lord. And I'm afraid that these individuals are terribly mistaken. For the Lord does not do for us what we can do ourselves. And when the Lord fights our battles 99.9 times out of 100, that doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. But it means that he makes us mighty even unto the power of deliverance, or he makes us equal to the challenge. Not that we will not be injured, not that we will not face hardship. Not that we will not have to place everything upon the altar and be willing to sacrifice anything. But as we do that, he will preserve us. And, you know, Helaman and the sons of Helaman did not have a sense of entitlement. They worked with all their might. They put everything on the line. They did not hold back, but they did trust in the Lord their God who did not forsake them, who did not let them down. And just because they were injured and received wounds and many of them fainted because of the loss of blood did not mean that the Lord was not with them and did not preserve their lives and did not grant unto them victory over their enemies. Verse 26, and now their preservation was astonishing to our whole army. Yea, that they should be spared 
while there were a thousand of our brethren who were slain. And we do justly ascribe it to the miraculous power of God because of their exceeding faith in that which they had been taught to believe, that there was a just God, and whosoever did not doubt, which is the exercise of hope, that they should be preserved by his marvelous power. And now this was the faith of these of whom I have spoken. They are young, and their minds are firm, and they do put their trust in God continually. Now, I would pose the question to each one of us, are we such men as these? Because those who, although they were on the right side, were not of this caliber, at least a thousand of them did die. So it is not enough just to be a foolish virgin. What is required of us is to ascend and be wise virgins. In other words, to take the Holy Spirit as our guide, which means that we do not just hear, but that we also do the word and voice of God as it is delivered unto us by revelation. Verse 27 again. Now, this was the faith of these whom I have spoken. They are young and their minds are firm and they do put their trust in God continually. And now in Alma 43. Verses 23 and 24. But it came to pass that as soon as they had departed into the wilderness, Moroni sent spies into the wilderness to watch their camp. And Moroni also knowing of the prophecies of Alma, sent certain men unto him, desiring him that he should inquire of the Lord whither the armies of the Nephites should go to defend themselves against the Lamanites. So again, Moroni being a man of God, was able to listen to the spirit sufficiently that he knew that he should go to the spiritual leader who was Alma and have Alma inquire of the Lord about where they should go and what they should do again to defend themselves against the Lamanites. You know, this was not an offensive measure. This was a defensive measure. They had met the criteria of the Lord for defending themselves and they qualified for the blessings of the Lord to make them victorious against their enemies. <laughs> and so while we may think of war and the act of having to use um, the threat of physical death as something that is equal and opposite of God. Um, nevertheless, when we have complied with his requirements and when we are fighting for those things which God you know, has said are worth fighting for, are worth shedding someone else's blood, and 
laying down our own lives in their defense, then will the Spirit of God be with us. And because all things are spiritual unto God. Um, if we are ever in the position where we are also required to take up arms in the defense of that which is good and true, we should also expect, if we are following the commandments of God and the things that he has revealed to us, that we will have his spirit to be with us, that we will have his help, that we will have his direction, that he will preserve us and that he will allow us to triumph over our enemies. Verse 24 in Alma 43. And it came to pass that the word of the Lord came unto Alma. And Alma informed the messengers of Moroni that the armies of the Lamanites were marching round about in the wilderness, that they might come over into the land of Manti, that they might commence an attack upon the weaker part of the people. And those messengers went and delivered the message unto Moroni. So truly, the Word of the Lord came to his prophet. And as the word of the Lord came to his prophet, uh, he was able to discover by the gift of prophecy and revelation what the enemy of the Lord's people were up to and what the armies of the Nephites should do to be able to protect and defend. Now verses 29 and 30. And now, as I, Moroni, knew the intention of the Lamanites, that it was their intention to destroy their brethren, or to subject them and bring them into bondage, that they might establish a kingdom unto themselves over all the land. Now, pay, take note of the difference between people of God who are justified and sanctioned in using deadly force and going to war, and those who enter into war without the sanction and without the protection of God. Instead of being a defensive operation, the Lamanites seeking war was an offensive operation, not to preserve and maintain liberty and freedom, but to subject others into tyranny and into bondage. Verse 30. And he also knowing that it was the only desire of the Nephites to preserve their lands and their liberty and their church. Therefore, he thought it no sin that he should defend them by stratagem. Therefore, he found by spies which course the Lamanites were to take. And there's verses 45 through 54. Nevertheless, the Nephites were inspired by a better cause, for they were not fighting for monarchy nor power, but they were fighting for their homes and their liberties and their wives and their children and their all, yea, for their rights of worship and their church. Now also take notice how often the Lord is giving to us the list of those things that it is acceptable to fight for and to die for, and to take life to protect. Their homes, their liberties, their wives, their children, 
yea, their all, and their rites of worship in their church. And they were doing that which they felt was their duty, which they owed to their God. For the Lord had said unto them and also unto their fathers, that inasmuch as ye are not guilty of the first offense, neither the second, ye shall not suffer yourselves to be slain by the hands of your enemies. So, again, it's not saying here that we have to wait until the third attack to defend our lives. It's saying that you better not be guilty of the first and second offense, which would cause those who come against you to seek your lives. And as long as you are innocent, of those offenses, and yet they come against you with the intention to take your life. That ye are not only justified, but you are commanded to defend yourselves. And that you also then qualify for the protection of the Lord to be with you. And I submit, in the times that are coming, it will be a matter of life and death that we also depend upon these promises of the Lord. And as long as we are not guilty of the first and second offense, we are not only justified, but commanded to defend that which God has given unto us and that which is of greatest worth. And again, the Lord has said that ye shall defend your families, in verse 47, even unto bloodshed. Now, this is not just, this is not just justification. You know, this is a duty and responsibility of righteous men. The Lord has said that ye shall defend your families even unto bloodshed. Um, therefore, we need men of courage who are not afraid to defend their wives, their children, their families, even if it required them laying down their own life. Therefore, for this cause, were the Nephites contending with the Lamanites to defend themselves and their families and their lands, their country, their rights, and their religion. And it came to pass that when the men of Moroni saw the fierceness and the anger of the Lamanites, they were about to shrink and flee from them. And Moroni, perceiving their intent, sent forth and inspired their hearts with these thoughts. And here again, we have an example of why it is so important for men with the gift of prophecy and revelation to be called to positions of leadership in um, fighting forces and, you know, to lead during times of strife and battle. And Moroni, perceiving their intent, sent forth and inspired their hearts because he had the gift of prophecy and revelation. With these thoughts, yea, the thoughts of their lands, their liberty, yea, their freedom from bondage. And I would submit that we are in the very throes 
of a global system of tyranny who is seeking to take away the rights and the freedoms of all people. And I would also submit that we better stand up now in defensive measures, you know, as directed by the spirit, or we won't be in a position to do so in the future. Verse 49, and it came to pass that they turned upon the Lamanites, and they cried with one voice unto the Lord their God for their liberty and their freedom from bondage. And they began to stand against the Lamanites with power. And in that selfsame hour, they cried unto the Lord for their freedom. The Lamanites began to flee before them, and they fled even unto the waters of Sidon. So again, we see the promise of the Lord given through Nephi, that those who exercise faith sufficient qualify for deliverance and victory from the Lord. And now the Lamanites were more numerous, yea, by more than double the number of the Nephites. Nevertheless, they were driven. And if there, another major theme of the Book of Mormon is that it doesn't matter how overwhelming the opposition and the forces of tyranny and evil are for those who fear God and are righteous and will trust in him and will have the faith to stand up for those things that God has said it is not only okay to stand up for these things, but you have a duty and a responsibility, you righteous men, to stand up for these things. And if you're not righteous, then repent and return and become righteous so that you can qualify for the power of God unto deliverance, not only of yourself, but of your wives, your children, your families, and those who are good and innocent. Continuing, much that they were gathered together in one body in the valley upon the bank of the river Sidon. Therefore, the armies of Moroni encircled them about, yea, and even on both sides of the river. For behold, on the east were the men of Lehi. Therefore, when Zarahemna saw the men of Lehi on the east of the river Sidon, and the armies of Moroni on the west of the river Sidon, that they were encircled about by the Nephites, they were struck with terror. And now Moroni, when he saw their terror, commanded his men that they should stop the shedding of blood. Now, this is an important insight into Moroni, who was a man of God, and an insight um, to those men of God who will find themselves in this situation in the future. Um, Even though we may be required to shed blood to protect that which is good and virtuous, yet if we are given the opportunity not to shed blood or to halt the shedding of blood and to extend the hand of peace, even through a covenant of peace, that is always our first obligation if those on the other side will accept it. Verse 1 in chapter 44. 
And it came to pass that they did stop and withdraw a pace from them. And Moroni said unto Zimnarai, Zerahemna, behold, Zerahemna, we do not desire to be men of blood. We know that ye are in our hands, yet we do not desire to slay you. And again, these are the sentiments of a man of God, yet who is filled with courage enough to take a life when it is required at his hands. However, filled with compassion and mercy, which tempers his ability to take life. Behold, we have not come out to battle against you, that we might shed your blood for power. Neither do we desire to bring anyone into the yoke of bondage. But this is the very cause for which ye have come against us. Yea, and ye are angry with us because of our religion. And now ye behold that the Lord is with us. And ye behold that he has delivered you into our hands. And now I would that ye should understand that this is done unto us because of our religion and our faith in Christ. And now ye see that ye cannot destroy this our faith. And now ye see that this is the true faith of God. Yea, ye see that God will support and keep and preserve us so long as we are faithful unto him and unto our faith and our religion. And never will the Lord suffer that we will, that we shall be destroyed except we should fall into transgression and deny our faith. And now, Zerahemna, I command you in the name of all powerful God, who has strengthened our arms that we have gained power over you by our faith, by our religion, and by our rights of worship. And I would submit that it would be required for a military leader to have the gift of prophecy and revelation, to be bold and courageous enough not only to proclaim faith and trust in God among um, his men who are under him, but also to proclaim the true nature of victory to an enemy and that it comes from God. Um, normally, even when you have good men uh, who you know, have to be engaged in you know, physical altercation and battle and the taking of lives, um, you know, talk about God this clearly, this boldly, even if that's what they believe, it takes a back seat. And they, they cow and they fear to boldly stand up for God and that God is the true strength and the reason um, for the strength. But that we actually need men who not only do not fear laying their lives on the line, but also do not fear of what others would think about them when they boldly proclaim that the God of heaven um, is the cause of their strength and their victory. Verse 5. And now, Zarahemna, I command you in the name of all that is 
in the name of that all-powerful God who has strengthened our arms, that we have gained power over you by our faith, by our religion, by our rights of worship, and by our church, and our sacred support, which we owe to our wives and our children, by that liberty which binds us to our lands and our country, and also by the maintenance of the sacred word of God, to which we owe all our happiness, and by all that is most dear unto us. This certainly is an uncommon man. Yea, and by this, yea, and this is not all. I command you by all the desires which ye have for life, that ye deliver up your weapons of war unto us, and we will seek not your blood, but we will spare your lives, if ye will go your way and come not again to war against us. And now, if ye do not this, behold, ye are in our hands, and I will command my men that they shall fall upon you and inflict the wounds of death in your bodies, that they may become extinct. And then we will see who shall have power over this people. Yea, we will see who shall be brought into bondage. So, you Moroni is a man of courage and strength, but also a man of God. He is the perfect exemplar of meekness, of strength and mercy, but not weakness. And verse 8, And now it came to pass that when Zarahemna had heard these sayings, he came forth and delivered up his sword and his scimitar and his bow into the hands of Moroni and said unto him, Behold, here are our weapons of war. We will deliver them up unto you. But we will not suffer ourselves to take an oath unto you, which we know that we shall break, and also our children, but take our weapons of war, and suffer that we may depart into the wilderness. Otherwise, we will retain our swords, and we will perish or conquer. Behold, we are not of your faith. We do not believe that it is God that has delivered us into your hands, but we believe that it is your cunning that has preserved you from our swords. Behold, it is your breastplates and your shields that have preserved you. Now, this is an important point. Even though Moroni used great stratagem and cunning and had the appropriate um, items for war and for defense, the breastplates, the shields, the swords, he had all of the appropriate physical preparations, yet this is not where his faith was. Did he see this as a bare minimum requirement to be physically prepared? Absolutely. Having faith in God and being a man of the Spirit does not relieve us from our obligation and responsibility for physical preparation. In fact, a man of God will receive direction from the Spirit for the exact physical preparation that they are able to make. And I assure you that Moroni received direction from the Spirit that he should make the appropriate preparations, that he should have the weapons of war, the swords, that he should have the weapons of protection, the shields and breastplates, that it was also his responsibility to study strategy and be expert in it. 
And while he made all of these basic preparations, which would have been um, inspired of him by the Spirit, um, and the Spirit wouldn't have even had to have told him the specifics. Maybe it was the Spirit just said, Moroni, it is your responsibility for physical preparation, and you know what to do, so go and do it. Uh, this is not to say that Moroni had to be commanded in all things, for he was able to do many things of uh, his own learning and knowledge and judgment, and then with the aid of the Spirit, complete those physical preparations, that then the Lord might be able to work through him as his instrument in making him mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Verse 10, And now when Zarahemna had made an end of speaking these words, Moroni returned the sword and the weapons of war which he had received unto Zarahemna, saying, Behold, we will end the conflict. Now I cannot recall the words which I have spoken. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, ye shall not depart except ye depart with an oath that ye will not return against us to war. Now, as ye are in our hands, we will spill your blood upon the ground, or ye shall submit to the conditions which I have proposed. And now when Moroni had said these words, Zarahemna retained his sword and was angry with Moroni. And he rushed forward with that he might slay Moroni. But as he raised his sword, behold, one of Moroni's soldiers smote it even to the earth, and it broke by the hilt. And he also smote Zarahemna, that he also took his scalp, and it fell to the earth, and Zarahemna withdrew from before them into the midst of his soldiers. And it came to pass that the soldier who stood by, who smote off the scalp of Zarahemna, took up the scalp from off the ground by the hair, and laid it upon the point of the sword, and stretched it forth unto them, saying unto them with a loud voice, Even as this scalp has fallen to the earth, which is the scalp of your chief, so shall ye fall to the earth, except ye will deliver up your weapons of war and depart with a covenant of peace. So again, these were men of God who were still men. They were not weak. They were not cowering. They were men of strength, but also of mercy. Verse 15, now there were many when they heard these words and saw the scalp, which was upon the sword, that were struck with fear. And many came forth and threw down their weapons of war at the feet of Moroni and entered into a covenant of peace. And as many as entered into a covenant, they suffered to depart into the wilderness. Now it came to pass that Zarahemna was exceedingly wroth and it stirred up the remainder of his soldiers to anger and to contend more powerfully against the Nephites. And now Moroni was angry because of the stubbornness of the Lamanites. Therefore, he commanded his people that they should fall upon them and slay them. And it came to pass that they began to slay them. Yea, and the Lamanites did contend with their swords and their might. But behold, their naked skins and their bare heads were exposed to the sharp swords of the Nephites. So, again, because Moroni was a man of God, um, he was directed 
by the spirit to make the appropriate preparations. The Lamanites were not men of God. And so they did not make appropriate preparations. And it came to pass that they began to slay them. Yea, and the Lamanites did contend with their swords and their might. But behold, their naked skins and their bare heads were exposed to the sharp swords of the Nephites. Yea, behold, they were pierced and smitten. Yea, and did fall exceedingly fast before the swords of the Nephites. And they began to be swept down, even as the soldier of Moroni had prophesied. Now Zarahemna, when he saw that they were all about to be destroyed, cried mightily unto Moroni, promising, that he would covenant and also his people with them, if they would spare the remainder of their lives, that they would never come to war again against them. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that the work of death should cease among them. And he took the weapons of war from the Lamanites, and after they had entered into a covenant with him of peace, they were suffered to depart into the wilderness and again in the days that are coming um, these accounts and the example of moroni will serve as a standard and as a model along with the direction that we have received in the doctrine and covenants uh, about how we should conduct ourselves against our enemies and those who would seek our destruction um, and our bondage and our subjection. Now, in Alma 44, or in Alma 46, starting in verse 8, And thus we see how quick the children of men do forget the Lord their God, yea, how quick to do iniquity, and to be led away by the evil one. Yea, and we also see the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. Now, this is an important note. A righteous man who is a leader can inspire righteousness among a group of people. And a wicked man, conversely, can inspire wickedness among the people. So it does matter, you know, who we choose to be our leaders, you know, and, you know, that is just one of the reasons, because one who is righteous will inspire his people to be better than they are, and one who is wicked can bring down an entire civilization. Verse 10, yea, we see that Amalekiah, because he was a man of cunning device, a man of many flattering words, that he led away the hearts of many people to do wickedly, yea, and to seek to destroy the church of God, and to destroy the foundation of liberty, which God had granted unto them, or which blessing God had sent upon the face of the land for the righteous sake. And now it came to pass that when Moroni, who was the chief commander of the armies of the Nephites, had heard of these dissensions. He was angry with Amalekiah. Now, remember that Amalekiah was a Nephite 
who sought for power and gain over the rest of the Nephites. And he sought tyranny. And it came to pass that he rent his coat. Moroni did. And took a piece thereof and wrote upon it in memory of our God and our religion and freedom and our peace and our wives and our children. And he fastened it upon the end of a pole. So Amalekiah inspired the people toward wickedness and tyranny. And he sought to lead a revolt against those who defended the cause of liberty and freedom. And to counteract the revolt that Amalekiah was inciting among the people to overthrow their freedom, their religion, he hoisted the title of liberty. Again, we have the juxtaposition between what a wicked leader can lead his people into Amalekiah and what a righteous leader can lead his people into. And he fastened on his headplate and his breastplate and his shields and girded on his armor about his loins. And he took the pole which he had had on the end thereof rent his rent coat, and he called it the title of liberty. And he bowed himself to the earth, and he prayed mightily unto his God for the blessings of liberty to rest upon his brethren, so long as there should be a band of Christians remain to possess the land. So again, we have the theme of a righteous military leader receiving the gift of revelation to inspire his people to a better cause. For thus were all the true believers of Christ who belonged to the church of God called by those who did not belong to the church. And those who did belong to the church were faithful. Yea, all those who were, yea, all those who were true believers in Christ took upon them gladly the name of Christ were Christians, as they were called, because of their belief in Christ who should come. And therefore, at this time, Moroni prayed that the cause of the Christians and the freedom of the land might be favored. And it came to pass that when he had poured out his soul to God, he named all the land which was south of the land desolation. He didn't find all the land, both on the north and on the south, a chosen land and a land of liberty. And he said, surely God shall not suffer that we who are despised because we take upon us the name of Christ shall be trodden down and destroyed until we bring it upon us by our own transgressions. And when Moroni said these words, he went forth among the people, waving the rent part of his garment in the air that all might see his writing, which he had written upon the rent part and crying with a loud voice saying, and may I just interject, Did was Moroni a man who went along to get along? Did he soft pedal anything? Was he afraid to offend? Or was he bold in standing for what was right and true and there was no compromise with evil in him? And I would draw a stark distinction between the actions of Moroni and 
many who claim to lead us in some fashion today. Who should know better. Who should have the gift of prophecy and revelation and should have the backbone of the spirit to stand up to tyranny instead of kowtow to it. And, then, and when Moroni had said these words, he went forth among the people, waving the rent part of his garment in the air, that all might see the writing which he had written upon the rent part, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Behold, whosoever will maintain this title upon the land, let them come forth in the strength of the Lord and enter into a covenant that they will maintain their rights and their religion, that the Lord God may bless them. And it came to pass that when Moroni had proclaimed these words, behold, the people came running together and with their armor girded about their loins, rending their garments in token or as a covenant that they would not forsake the Lord their God. Or in other words, if they should transgress the commandments of God or fall into transgression and be ashamed to take upon them the name of Christ, the Lord should rend them even as they had rent their garments. And now this was the covenant which they had made. And they cast their garments at the feet of Moroni, saying, We covenant with our God that we shall be destroyed even as our brethren in the land northward, if we shall fall into transgression. Yea, we may cast, he may cast us at the feet of our enemies, even as we have cast our garments at thy feet to be trodden underfoot, if we shall fall into transgression. Moroni said unto them, Behold, we are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. Yea, we are a remnant of the seed of Joseph, whose coat was rent by his brethren into many pieces. Yea, and now behold, let us remember to keep the commandments of God, or our garments shall be rent by our brethren, and we be cast into prison, or sold, or slain. Yea, let us preserve our liberty as a remnant of Joseph. Yea, let us remember the words of Jacob before his death. For behold, he saw that a part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph was preserved and had not decayed. And he said, even as this remnant of garment of my son hath been preserved, so shall a remnant of the seed of my son be preserved by the hand of God and be taken unto himself while the remainder of the seed of Joseph shall perish even as a remnant of his garment. And now behold, this giveth my soul sorrow. Nevertheless, my soul hath joy in my son. Because of that part of his seed, which shall be taken unto God. And now behold, this was the language of Jacob. And now who knoweth but what the remnant of the seed of Joseph, which shall perish as his garment, are those who have dissented from us. And even it shall be ourselves if we do not stand fast in the face of Christ. Do you think Moroni was inspiring his people to wear the mask of the fake pandemic. And now when it came to pass that Moroni had said these words, he went forth and also sent forth in all parts of the land where there were dissensions and gathered together all the people who were desirous to maintain their liberty, to stand against Amalekiah and all those who dissented and were called Amalekiahites. 
And it came to pass that when Amalekiah saw that the people of Moroni were more numerous than the Amalekiah Heights, that he also saw that his people were doubtful concerning the justice of the cause in which they had undertaken, therefore fearing that he should not gain the point. He took those of his people who would and departed into the land Nephi. And now Moroni thought it not expedient that the Lamanites should have any more strength. Therefore, he thought to cut off the people of Malachiah or to take them and bring them back and put Amalekiah to death. Yea, for he knew that he would stir up the Lamanites to anger against them and cause them to come to battle against them. And this he knew that Amalekiah would do that he might obtain his purposes. Therefore Moroni thought it was expedient that he should take his armies who had gathered themselves together and arm themselves and enter into a covenant to keep the peace. And it came to pass that he took his army and he marched out with his tents into the wilderness to cut off the course of Amalekiah in the wilderness. And it came to pass that he did, according to his desires, marched forth into the wilderness and headed the armies of Amalekiah. And it came to pass that Amalekiah fled with a small number of his men, and the remainder were delivered up into the hands of Moroni, who were taken back into the land of Zarahemla. Now Moroni being a man who was appointed by the chief judges and the voice of the people, therefore he had power according to his will with his armies of the name of the Nephites to establish and to exercise authority over them. And it came to pass that whomsoever of the Amalekiahites would not enter into a covenant to support the cause of freedom, that they might maintain a free government he caused to be put to death. And there were but few who denied the covenant of freedom. And it came to pass also that he caused the title of liberty to be hoisted upon every tower which was in the land which was possessed by the Nephites. And thus Moroni planted the standard of liberty among the Nephites, and they began to have peace again in the land. And thus they did maintain peace in the land until nearly the end of the 19th year of the reign of the judges. And Helaman the high priest and the high priest did also maintain order in the church. Yea, even for the space of four years did they have much peace and rejoicing in the church. And it came to pass that there were many who died firmly believing that their souls were redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus they went out of the world rejoicing. Now let's go to Alma 50. And verses 20 and 21. Blessed art thou and thy children, and they shall be blessed inasmuch as they shall keep my commandments. They shall prosper in the land. But remember, inasmuch as they will need not keep my commandments, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And we see that these promises have been verified to the people of Nephi, for it has been their quarrelings and their contentions, yea, their murderings and their plunderings, their idolatry and their whoredoms, and their abominations, which were among themselves, which brought upon them their wars and their destructions. And those who were faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord were delivered at all times, whilst thousands of their wicked brethren 
have been consigned to bondage or to perish by the sword or to dwindle in unbelief and mingle with the Lamanites. But behold, there never was a happier time among the people of Nephi since the days of Nephi than in the days of Moroni. Yea, even at this time in the 20 and first year of the reign of the judges. And it came to pass that in the 22nd year of the reign of the judges also ended in peace in also the 20 and third year. And thus we see the power of a righteous man who has the gift of prophecy and revelation and courage to defend his people against tyranny and from all external threat, and also from internal threat. And Alma 51, starting in verse 13. And it came to pass that when the men who were called kingmen had heard that the Lamanites were coming down to battle against them, they were glad in their hearts. And they refused to take up arms, for they were so wroth with the chief judge and also with the people of liberty that they would not take up arms to defend their country. And it came to pass that when Moroni saw saw this and also saw that the Lamanites were coming to the borders of the land, he was exceedingly wroth because of the stubbornness of the people whom he had labored with so much diligence to preserve. Yea, he was exceedingly wroth. His soul was filled with anger against them. And I would submit that this is an example of righteous anger. And it came to pass that he sent a petition with the voice of the people unto the governor of the land, desiring that he should read it and give him Moroni power to compel those dissenters to defend their country or to be put to death. For it was his first care to put an end to such contentions and dissensions among the people. For behold, this had been hitherto a cause of all their destruction. And it came to pass that it was granted according to the voice of the people. And it came to pass that Moroni commanded that his army should go against those kingmen to pull down their pride and their nobility and level them with the earth, or they should take up arms and support the cause of liberty. And it came to pass that the armies did march forth against them and did pull down their pride and their nobility, insomuch that they did lift up their weapons of war to fight against the men of Moroni. They were hewn down and leveled to the earth. And it came to pass that there were 4,000 of those dissenters who were hewn down by the sword, and those of their leaders who were not slain in battle were taken and cast into prison, for there was no time for their trials at this period. And the remainder of those dissenters, rather than be smitten down to the earth by the sword, yielded to the standard of liberty and were compelled to hoist the title of liberty upon their towers and in their cities and to take up arms in defense of their country. And thus Moroni put an end to those kingmen that were not, that there were not any known by the appellation of kingmen. And thus he put an end to the stubbornness and the pride of those people who professed the blood of nobility. But they were brought down to humble themselves like unto the brethren and to fight valiantly for their freedom from bondage. And it came to pass that while Moroni was thus breaking down the wars and contentions among his people and and subjecting them 
to peace and civilization and making regulations to prepare for war against the Lamanites. Behold, the Lamanites had come into the land of Moroni, which was in the borders by the seashore. And I would submit to you that just as um, the Amalekites um, sowed the seeds of what I would liken unto what eventually happened in the French Revolution, um, the complete loss of the love for liberty and a desire to subject others and to bring them into tyranny and uh, even to shed their blood to get them to come into tyranny. That uh, just as the kingmen were uh, sowing those seeds and it had come to the point of revolt for them to take over the people who loved freedom. So we are having those seeds sown uh, with us today. And while it has not yet reached that point that it will, and just as the people of Moroni took preparation, so must, must we take preparation. And just as Moroni would not submit to the tyranny of Malachiah and the kingmen, neither must we. Now, Alma 61, verses 9 through 15. And the men of Pecos received their trial according to the law, and also those kingmen who had been taken and cast into prison, and they were executed according to the law. Yea, those men of Pecos and those kingmen, whosoever would not take up arms in the defense of their country, but would fight against it, were put to death. And thus it became expedient that this law should be strictly observed for the safety of their country. Yea, and whosoever was found denying their freedom was speedily executed according to the law. And thus ended the 13th year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. Moroni and Pehorin, having restored peace to the land of Zarahemla, among their own people, having inflicted death upon all those who were not true to the cause of freedom. And it came to pass that in the commencement of the thirty and first year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, Moroni immediately caused that provisions should be sent, and also an army of six thousand men should be sent unto Helaman to assist him in preserving that part of the land. And he also caused that an army of 6,000 men with a sufficient quantity of food should be sent to the armies of Lehi and Teancum. And it came to pass that this was done to fortify the land against the Lamanites. And it came to pass that Moroni and Pehoran, leaving a large body of men in the land of Zarahemla, took their march with a large body of men toward the land of Nephiha, being determined to overthrow the Lamanites in that city. And it came to pass that as they were marching towards the land, they took a large body of men of the Lamanites and slew many of them 
and took their provisions and their weapons before her. Now, in Alma 48, starting in verse 10, and we will go through 25. And regarding Moroni, And thus he was preparing to support their liberty, their lands, their wives, their children, and their peace, and that they might live unto the Lord their God, and that they might maintain that which was called by their enemies because of Christians. And Moroni was a strong and a mighty man. He was a man of perfect understanding. Yea, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, a man whose soul did joy in the liberty and freedom of his country and his brethren from bondage and slavery. Yea, a man whose heart did swell with thanksgiving to his God for the many privileges and blessings which he bestowed upon his people, a man who did labor exceedingly for the welfare and safety of his people. Yea, he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, and he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights, and his country, and his religion, even to the loss of his blood. Now the Nephites were taught to defend themselves against their enemies, even to the shedding of blood, if it were necessary. Yea, and they were also taught never to give an offense. Yea, and never to raise the sword except it were against an enemy, except it were to preserve their lives. And this was their faith, that by so doing, God would prosper them in the land. Or in other words, if they were faithful in keeping the commandments of God, that he would prosper them in the land. Yea, warn them to flee or to prepare for war according to their danger. And we also must rely upon the Lord in the times that are coming, that as we are obedient unto the commandments of God and seek the gift of prophecy and revelation, that we will also be prospered. And that we will receive advanced warning whether to flee or to prepare according to the danger that we encounter. Verse 16, and also that God would make it known unto them whither they should go to defend themselves against their enemies. And by so doing, the Lord would deliver them. And this was the faith of Moroni, and his heart did glory in it, not in the shedding of blood, but in doing good, in preserving his people. Yea, in keeping the commandments of God, yea, and resisting iniquity. And I would ask that we examine our own lives and our own character. And wherever it is out of step or does not measure up to the character of Moroni, that we seek to allow the Lord to help us to perfect it. That we also might be men and even women uh, who would be as Moroni was. Verse 17. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. 
Yea, and the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Behold, he was a man like unto Ammon, the son of Mosiah. Yea, and even the other sons of Mosiah, and also Alma and his sons. For they were all men of God. And now behold, Helaman and his brethren were no less serviceable unto the people than was Moroni. For they did preach the word of God. And they did baptize unto repentance all men whosoever would hearken unto their words. And thus they went forth, and the people did humble themselves because of their words, insomuch that they were highly favored of the Lord. And thus they were free from wars and contentions among themselves, yea, even for the space of four years. But as I have said in the latter end of the 19th year, yea, notwithstanding their peace amongst themselves, they were compelled reluctantly to contend with their brethren, the Lamanites. Yea, and in fine, their wars never did cease for the space of many years with the Lamanites, notwithstanding their much reluctance. Now they were sorry to take up their arms against the Lamanites because they did not delight in the shedding of blood. Yea, and this was not all. They were sorry to be the means of the sending of so many of their brethren out of this world into the eternal world, unprepared to meet their God. Nevertheless, they could not suffer to lay down their lives that their wives and their children should be massacred by the barbarous cruelty of those who were once their brethren. Yea, they had dissented from their church and had left them and had gone to destroy them by joining the Lamanites. So again, I would say unto those who are under the impression that it is ready to submit and to lay down your life and the life of your families to be butchered, rather than to take up arms to defend them, that this is not the way a man of God behaves. And this is not a godly thought. Um, and this is not inspired by the Spirit. Nevertheless, they could not suffer themselves to lay down their lives, that their wives and children should be massacred, by the barbarous cruelty of those who were once their brethren, yea, and had dissented from their church and had left them and had gone to destroy them by joining with the Lamanites. Yea, they could not bear that their brethren should rejoice over the blood of the Nephites, so long as there were any who should keep the commandments of God. For the promise of the Lord was that if they should keep his commandments, they should prosper in the land. Ether 8. Starting in verse 21. Now, in Ether 8, starting in verse 21, Moroni sees our day, and he gives a warning unto the Latter-day Saints. For just as in the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew 21, when the term Gentiles is used referring to an end-time people, it is the end-time people to whom the fullness of the gospel is restored. And the prophets of the Book of Mormon use the term Gentiles in the exact same way. The term Gentiles in the Book of Mormon 
is used to refer to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So starting in verse 21, talking about secret combinations. And they have caused the destruction of this people of whom I am now speaking, and also the destruction of the people of Nephi. And whatsoever nation shall uphold such secret combinations to get power and gain until they shall spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed. For the Lord will not suffer that the blood of his saints, which shall be shed by them, shall always cry unto him from the ground for vengeance upon them, and yet he avenged them not. And now Moroni narrows the warning about secret combinations from the national to the Latter-day Saints. Wherefore, O ye Gentiles, or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it is wisdom in God that these things should be shown unto you, that thereby ye may repent of your sins. And constantly, the Gentiles or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are being told by Book of Mormon prophets to repent of our sins. And we're actually told specifically how we're to do that. We're specifically supposed to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and might be born again as sons and daughters of Christ. That's how the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are admonished by Book of Mormon prophets to repent of our sins. And suffer not these murderous combinations shall get above you. Moroni isn't talking about above us in government. Which are built up to get power and gain and the work, yea, even the work of destruction come upon you. Yea, even the sword of the justice of the eternal God shall fall upon you to your overthrow and destruction if ye shall suffer these things to be, and I would add parenthetically, to be among you in the church. So, in verse 23, Moroni says, O Latter-day Saints, don't let these murderous combinations get above you in high church office. And in verse 24, he says, but when they do. Wherefore, the Lord commandeth you, when ye shall see these things come among you, that ye shall awake to a sense of your awful situation because of this secret combination, which shall be among you, or woe be unto it because of the blood of them who have been slain. For they cry from the dust for vengeance upon it and also upon those who built it up. For it cometh to pass that whosoever buildeth it up seeketh to overthrow the freedom of all lands, nations, and countries. And it bringeth to pass the destruction of all people. For it is built up by the devil, who is the father of all lies, even that same liar who beguiled our first parents. Yea, even that same liar who hath caused to commit murder from the beginning, who hath hardened the hearts of men, that they have murdered the prophets and stoned them and cast them out from the beginning. Wherefore, I, Moroni, am commanded to write these things, that evil may be done away, that the time may come that Satan may have no more power upon the hearts of the children of men, 
but that they may be persuaded to do good continually, that they may come unto the fountain of all righteousness and be saved. Why was it necessary that Moroni, seeing our day, would have need to give us this warning? Alma 17. Verses 26 to 39. And after he had been in the service of the king three days, as he was with the Lamanitish servants, going forth with their flocks to a place of water, which was called the water of Sebas, and all the Lamanites drive their flocks hither, that they may have water. Therefore Ammon, who, as we we're just told, is a man like unto Moroni, which if all men would be like unto these men, hell would have no power. Therefore, as Ammon and the servants of the king were driving forth their flocks to this place of water, behold, a certain number of the Lamanites who had been with their flocks to water stood and scattered the flocks of Ammon and the servants of the king. And they scattered them insomuch that they fled many ways. Now the servants of the king began to murmur, saying, Now the king will slay us, as he has our brethren, because their flocks were scattered by the wickedness of these men. And they began to weep exceedingly, saying, Behold, our flocks are scattered already. So even though this is Ammon's first experience with the servants of the king, watering the flocks of the king and having uh, enemies of the king come and scatter the flocks. Yet the consequence was death. And remember, the Lord justifies the threat of physical death with whatever is required to meet that threat. So Ammon you will see, meets the requirement for the just use of deadly force. Verse 29. And now they wept because of the fear of being slain. Now when Ammon saw this, his heart was swollen within him with joy. For said he, I will show forth my power unto these my fellow servants, or the power which is in me in restoring these flocks unto the king that I may win the hearts of these my fellow servants, that I may lead them to believe in my words. And now these were the thoughts of Ammon, when he saw the afflictions of those whom he termed to be his brethren. And it came to pass that he flattered them by, their, by his words, saying, My brethren, be of good cheer, and let us go in search of the flocks, and we will gather them together and bring them back unto the place of water, and thus will we preserve the flocks unto the king, and he will not slay us. And it came to pass that they went in search of the flocks, and they did follow Ammon, and they rushed forth with much swiftness, and did head the flocks of the king, and did gather them together again to the place of water. And so, you know, I would submit that by gathering the flocks and not immediately going out against those who had scattered the flocks, Ammon was extending the hand of peace 
to those who had done the scattering. Verse 33, And those men again stood to scatter their flocks. But Ammon said unto his brethren, And circle the flocks round about, that they flee not, and I go and contend with these men who do scatter our flocks. Therefore they did as Ammon commanded them, and went forth and stood to contend with those who stood by the waters of Sebas. And they were in number not a few. Therefore they did not fear Ammon, for they supposed that one of their men could slay him according to their pleasure. For they knew not that the Lord had promised Mosiah that he would deliver his sons out of their hands. Neither did they know anything concerning the Lord. Therefore they delighted in the destruction of their brethren, and for the cause they stood to scatter the flocks of the king. So if the odds of Moroni fighting battles um, and Helaman and the sons of Helaman being outnumbered two to one and still being victorious. How about the odds of one man being outnumbered? You know, we don't know how many, whether it was eight or whether it was 50. Those are pretty overwhelming odds. And the promise of the Lord through Nephi still applies even in even in the face of such overwhelming odds. Verse 35. Therefore they did not fear Ammon, for they supposed that one of their men could slay him according to their pleasure, for they knew not that the Lord had promised Mosiah that he would deliver his sons out of their hands, neither did they know anything concerning the Lord. Therefore they delighted in the destruction of their brethren, and for this cause they stood to scatter the flocks of the king. But Ammon stood forth and began to cast his stones at them with his sling. Yea, with mighty power he did sling stones amongst them. And thus he slew a certain number of them, insomuch that they began to be astonished at his power. Nevertheless, they were angry because of the slain of their brethren, and they were determined that he should fall. Therefore, seeing that they could not hit him with their stones, they came forth with their clubs to slay him. But behold, every man that lifted his club to smite Ammon, he smote off their arms with his sword. For he did withstand their blows by smiting their arms with the edge of his sword, insomuch that they began to be astonished and began to flee before him. And they were not few in number, and he caused them to flee by the strength of his arm. Now six of them had fallen by the sling, but he slew none, save it were their leader with his sword. And he smote off as many of their arms as it were lifted up against him, and they were not a few. And when he had driven them afar off, he returned and they watered their flocks and returned them to the pasture of the king. And then went into the king and then went in unto the king, bearing the arms which had been smitten off by the sword of Ammon or those who sought to slay him. And they were carried in unto the king for the testimony of the things which they had done. And now in Alma 20. Um, 21 through 26. And now when the king saw that Ammon could slay him, he began to plead with Ammon that he would spare his life. Now, this is the father of King Lamoni. 
But Ammon raised his sword, and he said unto him, Behold, I will smite thee, except thou wilt grant unto me that thy brethren may be cast, that my brother may be cast out of prison. Now the king, fearing he should lose his life, said, If thou wilt spare me, I will grant unto thee whatsoever thou wilt ask, even unto the half of my kingdom. Now when Ammon saw that he had wrought upon the old king according to his desire, he said unto him, If thou wilt grant that my brethren may be cast out of prison, and also that Lamoni may retain his kingdom, and that ye be not displeased with him, but grant that he may do according to his own desires in whatsoever thing he thinketh, then will I spare thee, otherwise I will smite thee to the earth. Now when Ammon had said these words, the king began to rejoice because of his life. And when he saw that Ammon had no desire to destroy him, and when he also saw the great love that he had for his son Lamoni, he was astonished exceedingly and said, Because this is all that thou hast desired, that I would release thy brother and suffer that my son Lamoni would retain his kingdom. Behold, I will grant unto you that my son may retain his kingdom from this time and forever, and I will govern him no more. And thus we see that true virtue is having the power to inflict great harm, but exercising restraint. And only exercising that power in the doing of good. And that there is no virtue in weakness. But there is virtue in strength when that strength is directed and constrained by the power of the spirit. Now, First Nephi, chapter 4. Starting in verse 5. And it was by night that I caused that they should hide themselves without the walls. And after they had hid themselves, I, Nephi, crept into the city and went forth towards the house of Laban. And I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth. As I came near unto the house of Laban, I beheld a man, and he had fallen to the earth before me, for he was drunken with wine. And when I came to him, I found that it was Laban, and I beheld his sword, and I drew it forth from the sheath thereof, and the hilt thereof was of pure gold, and the workmanship thereof was exceedingly fine. And I saw that the blade thereof was of the most precious steel. And it came to pass that I was constrained by the spirit that I should kill Laban. And I said in my heart, never at any time have I shed the blood of man, and I shrunk that I might not slay him. And the Spirit said unto me again, Behold, the Lord hath delivered him into thy hands. Yea, and I also knew that he had sought to take away mine own life. Yea, and he would not hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, and he also had taken away our property. And it came to pass that the Spirit said unto him again, Slay him, for the Lord hath, deliver, hath delivered him into thy hands. Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. 
And let me reiterate that. Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth his righteous purposes. It is better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. And now when I, Nephi, had heard these words, I remembered the words of the Lord, which he spake unto me in the wilderness, saying that inasmuch as thy seed shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land of promise. Yea, and I also thought that they could not keep the commandments of the Lord according to the law of Moses, save save they should have the law of Moses. And I also knew the law was engraven upon the plates of brass. And again, I knew that the Lord had delivered Laban into my hands for this cause, that I might obtain the records according to his commandments. Therefore, I did obtain the voice of the Spirit and took Laban by the hair of the head, and I smote off his head with his own sword. Now, words of Mormon. Words of Mormon, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Behold, I am Amalekai, the son of Abinadon. Behold, I will speak unto you somewhat concerning Mosiah, who was made king over the land of Zarahemla. For behold, he being warned of the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi, and as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord should also depart out of the land with him into the wilderness. And it came to pass that he did according to the word of the Lord, had commanded him, and they departed out of the land into the wilderness, as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord. And they were led by many preachings and prophesyings, and they were admonished continually by the word of God, and they were led by the power of his arm to the wilderness until they had come down into the land which was called the land of Zarahemla. And so, you know, there again, we have an example of a people being led out uh, on the eve of destruction and being um, preserved. Twenty-three, and I am Malachi, was born in the days of Mosiah. And I have lived to see his death, and Benjamin, his son, reign in his stead. And behold, I have seen in the days of King Benjamin a serious war and much bloodshed between the Nephites and the Lamanites. But behold, the Nephites did obtain much advantage over them, insomuch that King Benjamin did drive them out of the land of Zarahemla. And it came to pass that I began to be old and having no seed, and knowing King Benjamin to be a just man before the Lord, wherefore I shall deliver up these plates unto him, exhorting all men to come unto God, the Holy One of Israel, and believe in prophesying and in revelations and the ministering of angels, and then a gift in speaking with tongues, and the gift of interpreting languages, and in all things which are good. And there is nothing which is good save it comes from the Lord, and that which is Evil cometh of the devil. And I would say 
do we believe in and do we experience prophesying and revelations and the ministering of angels and the gift of speaking with tongues and the gift of interpreting languages? Do we experience the gifts of the Spirit and Pentecostal outpourings of the Spirit? For I would submit that true, the true people of God in all ages experience Pentecostal outpourings of the Spirit and a multitude of spiritual gifts. And that they are very apparent among God's people when a people truly are God's people. And now, my beloved brethren, in verse 26, I would that ye should come unto Christ, the Holy One of Israel, and partake of his salvation. And the power of his redemption, yea, come unto him, and offer your whole souls as an offering unto him, and continue in fasting and praying, and endure to the end. And as the Lord liveth, ye shall be saved. Or in other words, in Third Nephi chapter 9. Christ says, and as many as have received me, 3 Nephi 9.17, to them have I given to become the sons of God. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. So I submit to you that even though part of the baptismal covenant is to be willing to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ, that we don't actually have the opportunity to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ until he extends that name to us and we become his sons and his daughters. The question is, at what point does Christ actually extend his name to us and at what point are we actually able to become the sons and daughters of Christ? Well, verse 17, it says it's at the point where those who would take upon him or them his name receive him. Well, how do we receive him? How do we take upon us his name? How do we become his sons and his daughters? Well, Christ himself declares how it is done in verse 20. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And as Elder Bednar said in John Conference in 2010, we do not receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost at confirmation. And we have not, in fact, taken upon ourselves the name of Christ until we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. We do not become his sons and daughters until we receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost is a priesthood ordinance 
as is outlined in DNC 76, verse 52, that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. And is as is outlined, this power is power in the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. Or that power which Christ restored to the 12 disciples when he came and ministered to the Nephites. Now, in 3 Nephi chapter 11, we have the account of the restoration of this power. But remember, it's not just enough to have authority or to be ordained. One also must be sealed to this power, according to DNC 7652. In 3 Nephi 11, we have the ordination to this power. But this is only half of what is required to be able to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 18. And it came to pass that he spake unto Nephi, for Nephi was among the multitude. And he commanded him that he should come forth. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and to kiss his feet. And the Lord commanded him that he should arise. And he arose and stood before him. And the Lord said unto him, I give unto you power that ye shall baptize this people when I am again ascended unto heaven. Now, at this point, is the Lord giving him power to baptize the people with fire and with the Holy Ghost? No. He's giving unto Nephi the power to baptize with water into the terrestrial order versus the telestial order to which Nephi had been baptizing the people, which we read about in 3 Nephi chapter 1 and 3 Nephi chapter 7. Now he's baptizing them with water into the terrestrial order or church of Christ. But what about having this, this power sealed upon them as is specified in verse 52 of DNC 76, that they might be able to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, this takes place in 3 Nephi 18. And 3 Nephi 18 verse 36 and it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of these sayings, he touched with his hand the disciples, whom he had chosen one by one, even until he had touched them all. And he spake unto them as he touched them. And the multitude heard not the words which he spake, therefore they did not bear record. But he gave the but the disciples bear record that he gave them power to give the Holy Ghost. Or in other words, he sealed the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood upon them, and thus... They have complied with both of the requirements given in DNC 76, verse 53, that to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, they have now been both ordained and sealed unto this power. And I will show unto you hereafter that this record is true. And it came to pass that when Jesus had touched them all, there came a cloud and overshadowed the multitude that they could not see Jesus. So, you know, my parting words would be that if each of us would this night upon our knees cry unto God and express our desire to offer up our broken hearts and our contrite spirits, that we also might receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we might be born again as sons and daughters of Christ, and thus he might extend the offering of his name to us, that we might not only be willing to take upon us his name, but that we might also 
actually take upon us Christ's name, being adopted as his sons and his daughters. And that that is the gate by which we must pass through to be on that straight and narrow path that we might hold to the iron rod which Nephi in 2 Nephi 32 defines as revelation to reach the tree and partake of the fruit. And that's how we become the people of God. And I bear you this witness in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And tomorrow night's Zoom cast will be all about what exactly this offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit is, that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we might receive the revelation or hold on to the iron rod, which leads us to the tree and partake of the fruit. And so tomorrow night's Zoom cast will be about the fundamentals and the doctrine of Christ. It will also start at eight o'clock and it will deal with the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and coming to the tree and partaking of the fruit, or in other words, coming into the presence of Christ in the fullness of his glory in this life and receiving our calling and election and having Christ make it sure. So we'll conclude the, the doctrinal portion of tonight's meeting, and we will open it up unto questions, comments,